Thank you for joining us at MindSpeak, the show that delves into global issues with a local perspective. This is a voice, not an echo. If you can't speak your mind, you can't be human. Hi, folks, and welcome back to MindSpeak. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. We're going on to episode 223, RoboWar, Send in the Drones. I know, it's just having a fun title to it all. But you got to have a little fun when you're talking about drones, pretty much uh, robot devices that we use to uh, take pictures, do surveillance uh, on land for you know environmental reasons, and... Unfortunately, also in the military uh, to uh, harass the enemy and sometimes to kill the enemy. So let's talk a bit about all of that. We're going to be talking about the various forms of drones. We'll talk about some of the philosophy uh, people have had about about them in terms of warfare and what it does to people. And then uh, we'll talk about the explosion of the civilian version of drones and what has happened with all, with all that. Okay. First, we'll go to the beginning of drones, okay? Around 1940, in the United States, a couple of uh, scientists came up with the idea. But uh, that's when we just about were going into World War II, and it was never explored after that. It was published as an article in uh, the uh, Popular Mechanics uh, magazine, and they left it at that. And, of course, you know, between the war and all that other stuff, no one ever gave any real thought to it. Until around 1971 is when, formerly, somebody put together plans, uh, a, a, a hobbyist and a scientist uh, by the name of, let me see here, uh, yes, uh, John Foster Jr. So he put together plans and built, because he used to be a hobbyist and he liked to model airplanes and all that, and he decided that drones would be a good idea to, to use for a weapon platform, uh, something that would be mobile and easy to operate, maybe even inexpensive. So we had the, the Defense Department look into that, and they built the first two, in 1973, the first two different types of ones, one called the Prairie and one called the Calera. Obviously, nothing like we have today, but nevertheless, that's where it really began. Curiously, in 1973, uh, once uh, Israel was involved in the Yom Kippur War, uh, they wind up using target drones, just the drones that we use that you can, you know, hit things with. They use them to confuse the, uh, the Egyptian, uh, aircraft, anti, anti-aircraft batteries. And, and by using those, they made them fire all of their ammunition out. So when the Air Force came later on, uh, from Israel, they didn't lose any pilots and everything. It was easy for them to, to attack e- Egypt because they used those drones as a way to make them waste their ammunition and all. You know, missiles are not like bullets. It's not like, you know, you have another 10 more somewhere and you put them in. Oftentimes, when when missile batteries are set up, there isn't a whole lot of backup to, to add to that. Usually that's what it is, is that's what it is. That's how many you got, that's how many you got. So, that's why. It's not like bullets, you run out, you go get a whole bunch more, stick it in and do it again. So, it's a good. it was a good, interesting strategy to do. Okay? Now... In the late 1980s, uh, Iran, which has now become a real power in drones, uh, they introduced a couple of uh, of uh, drones in the Iran-Iraq war. And, and their particular drones just had um, pretty much uh, the, the same type of grenades that would be used in the rocket-propelled grenades, the hand 
uh, hold held shoulder ones. They use those inside those drones to fire at at the um, the Iraqi troops. I mean, it's a good experiment and obviously good experience, but you know, and it's not really that practical in a full scale war, really, because you're only going to do so much damage. And we'll be talking about that because the, the drone, in many ways. Is sort of like the mechanical version of a sniper. It, it's there to do certain damage to certain things and then get out of there pretty much. That's it. It's not done. You know, you don't use it to shoot a whole bunch of tanks and kill uh, thousands of people on ground. That's what bombs are for. You know, so um, the drones, uh, they have their, uh, they have the uses, but they're more uh, of the strategic and I would call surgical type of attack uh, vehicles and that's what makes them uh, important in, in modern warfare now more than ever before and that's really what their purpose has been they've never really been there to do anything more than that because you know they can only fly so far so high only can carry so much in terms of uh, you know ammunition and, and missiles and bombs and stuff like that so you know their use in that regard is very limited in fact more times than not when a drone finishes using its ammunition and everything it you know it has to fly back unless it's there to take a couple pictures and it absorb the damage which a lot of times they do and then it flies back that's it it's not like uh you know something in the air can reload it with stuff and it can go out and shoot again yeah if that was possible that would make it a lot more you know uh, uh in terms of uh, a reusable vehicle in that fashion something that you can constantly count on but it's really only for the intended mission it has and then you know it comes back all right Israel was another uh, big uh, proponent of this early on. They uh, they used uh, um, uh, what they used to call the uh, the un uh, the unmanned aerial vehicles. That's the official term for it, actually. You know, because there's not people inside of it. It's it's entirely remote controlled. They had one called a hunter, and they had another one called the pioneer. They used them a great deal in the Gulf War. Uh, incredibly enough. And uh, they really uh, was able to use them in um, the Lebanon War as well. Uh, in fact, uh, they uh, uh, used them in the 1982 Lebanon War where they fired again, just like they did in Egypt, against the aerial defenses that Syria had had in Lebanon so, so they could waste their missiles. They were called SAMs, you know, surface-to-air missiles. And that's where you could send the Air Force in to do the bombing and other things it needs to do without having to worry about all these missiles shooting at it. So, again, very successful that way to use an aerial vehicle that's remote like a drone you're not harming anybody because nobody's inside of it and they terribly uh they're well, pretty much they're 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 incredibly inexpensive you know compared to you know just uh, a regular reconnaissance vehicle which can cost millions upon millions of dollars or of course a, a one jet you know any nation you're looking at anywhere from 20 to 35 million dollars you know your average drone is, is often less than three million dollars a unit it's not like they can't get shot down. It's not like they don't get shot down, but it still doesn't happen that often. You're still often bringing it back, and you know they're constantly reusable that way, and uh, very, very reliable. And of course, as you can see, uh, quite inexpensive. So it makes them a real big part of a lot of military strategies these days because you could really stretch your your defense budget, you know, and, and get a lot of bang for your buck literally uh, by having a couple drones on hand. All right, let's go on here. Now, the United States is 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 pioneered the uh, the drone from the beginning, and we used it actively in our military 
But ironically, we use it more for terrorism than, than we use it for regular open combat and, and open warfare. Not that we haven't, it's just not the same. Uh, on the war on terror, I mean, it, it's been hugely instrumental uh, for the United States. In fact, it, I read a report here that as of 2014, that's just that only like six or seven years ago, it, it killed 2,400 uh, various uh, you know, criminals and terrorists uh, with the drone strikes. Okay, and it had over 6,000 of these strikes. So if you think about it, looking at that math and everything, you know, every one out of three flights uh, for the drone strikes is going to result in someone dying. So they are pretty, they are pretty accurate. And we've taken out a lot of important ter terrorists over the years. Just about all the important terrorists we've taken out, with the exception of Osama bin Laden, which was more of an aerial raid with a with our stealth helicopters and going in in person and doing that, because that's not really going to be the same. That that's the kind of guy that, you know, you missile strike his location, he's probably going to live, and then be hiding even more difficult places in another ten years to find him. So, and um, that's the kind of situation where um, you know you have to have the personal touch, so to speak, and thankfully so, because. Uh, that was the person responsible for for 9/11 and killing over 3,000 people in, in these buildings. All right. Now, it's been debated in the recent past, and it it still it still has a debate now, but not as strong because it's going in a different direction now, and we'll definitely talk about that. Okay. Here we go. In the beginning of the of the whole drone, especially when we're able to show that we can kill terrorists and you know and all that, I mean, as of the most recent was not even a year and a half ago, where uh, President Trump had ordered the the killing of Soleimani with with a, with, a, with a drone strike, uh, an important Iranian uh, militia terrorist uh, uh, that was uh, sponsored by the government of Iran, and it killed many many American soldiers and many other people as well. They killed him in his car at the airport. Now, it was argued in the past, and it's still, it said, it said it's still a debate, but it's in a bit of a different direction. It was argued in the past that it was possible that using drones on a regular basis could harm us psychologically and even philosophically, mainly because, you know, you don't have, you don't have the same type of investment on the field of battle with a drone than you do with a human being. You know, you, you have to stab somebody with a knife. I mean, call it war or not, it, it you can't get too much more personal than that. It's not too much more different than having to shoot somebody as well, especially if you see them die in front of you or if you have to walk by their body because you got some other things you got to do. So it's, it's, a, it's a much more serious, personal, human human thing to do. And, of course... One of the supposed advantages, or if you want to call it a virtue, and I know shooting somebody doesn't exactly sound virtuous, but I think the virtue they're talking about is just uh, the virtue of it, it's now in your conscience. It's now an act that you know has happened. Uh, you understand that what you're doing has consequences. You need to be accountable for your actions. Uh, there may even be spiritual ramifications to all you do if you believe in God and that sort of thing where you don't really feel often the same when you're hitting somebody with a, a missile from a drone and you're you know you're in a distant location somewhere and this thing's like 10,000 miles away 
there's not the same type of investment. That that's what's been argued in the past, and there's there's some truth to that, but that actually started changing. And one of the reasons it started changing is because as the technology became more sophisticated, well, now it's just not a matter of, well, I'll take the camera off my drone and I'll stick a missile on there, which is what they used to do in the past to make it like a multi-purpose sort of thing. Well, now you can have drones that are large, they're no longer not even a small, like ones in the size of a, you know, like a, a regular, um, big glider plane i mean they're they're like the size of houses or bigger you know some of them have the the the, the wingspan of uh, of like 20 feet so we're talking about things that are much much larger now with bigger engines more equipment on them they already have cameras on them as a standard thing to be able to help with the with the targeting and help also with the understanding of if what has taken place you could fire on the target you believe you hit it you got a lot of smoke, you got a lot of other stuff going on, and then you can just wiggle on back with your camera to find out what's going on. Give you enough confirmation to understand that, you know, you've had this hit or not. Besides listening to chatter on the intelligence side of things, uh, you know, through signals and all that, you know, are they signaling the person is dead, this, that, whatever, to kind of give you some more confirmation, that's usually your first confirmation. The camera that's on the drone. And that has become more of a problem now because... Before, it was just a psychological slash philosophical debate about what this does to the combat person. Now, it's more about what does this do with the drone pilot? Because apparently, it's not an easy thing to watch after you've just blown up a bunch of people, body parts everywhere, people dead. Sometimes you could be killing, unfortunately, you know, innocent people. And in some cases, you have to. I know one of the... Um, one of the, the terrorists in, in Iraq, when they did, when they expanded that war, it was responsible for hundreds of people uh, being killed. It was extremely successful doing that. And if you know anything about how to kill a terrorist or anything to understand about how to get targets on a, on a regular basis, if you're one of those people that are one of those targets, the two things that you should be doing on a regular basis, and this is the two things when you don't do, that's when you get killed is you, you should not be staying in the same place at the same time you know, on a regular basis. You should be moving around. And you really shouldn't have anybody around you that you don't want to die because one of these days something's going to happen to you and whoever's around you, they're gone too. It doesn't work the same way. Not everybody is using a sniper someplace. Especially in many parts of the world, it's just not really a, a practical thing to do or even possible to do. You can depend on these drones a great deal. Well, this terrorist... Who oh, I can't believe for anything, uh, still still believed in his faith, even though he's a mass murderer. Um, he had his um, uh, imam, because he, he was a Muslim terrorist, he had him uh, go to wherever he was at so that he can have consultation and prayers and even like a bit of a service on whether he was at. And he had his family with him. So he did it. He broke the rule that we just talked about, just sort of did it in reverse. Instead of him moving around and nobody can find him, he moved around, but he had somebody constantly going to him. And eventually, when you figure that out, all you got to do is follow the imam to where he's at. And once you did that, that's what they did. They released, I think, three different Hellfire missiles against that target, killed him, some of his lieutenants, the imam, his family and children. They all were killed at once. 
They had to get this guy because of how successful and how dangerous he was, how many soldiers he was killing on a regular basis. His terrorism was particularly about killing American soldiers to demoralize us and to hurt us and do whatever we can. So that's unfortunately a situation where you have to kill them all. You don't have a choice. It's not he's not gonna have he's not gonna be in a situation where he's gonna be by himself or just with some religious person. He's always gonna have a crowd of people around him. I guess it never counted his mind that he was gonna get caught one day. Which is uh, I don't know, ought to be a third rule. Don't have people around you wanna die, don't 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 move an easy trail and, and you know, don't think that you can't be caught. Or killed, whatever you want to call that. Probably should be the third rule of that. But nevertheless, that's what happened to him. And it happens to them all when they think that they can't be caught or they think that somehow they can't be found or they just make stupid mistakes because people are watching and eventually they're going to figure out a pattern and that'll be it for you. That's how they catch those people. And drones are a big part of that sort of strategy. They can they can hover there almost silently, you know. Usually they have somebody on the ground to help sort of like measure that where you're at, give those signals to the people and... Drone just fires away, takes pictures, and it's gone. That's pretty much it. Literally, robo war for reality in action. But yeah, they're now dealing with uh, with pilots that are, uh, in many instances, having uh, PTSD because of all the things that they've seen and, and all the things they've done. Uh, you might be able to say 20 years ago, oh, I don't think this can happen, this, that, whatever, because of the uh, limited version of the technology we had. Now it's it's com now it's completely possible. Now it's actually happening. So you can no longer, you know, walk away from a drone strike after seeing whatever you did and, and feel like, you know, that was a video game. It's cool. I'm going to have a sandwich now. No, you're walking away understanding that you have killed people. If you want to call it a hope, I guess you just hope that you got all the right people and not any of the wrong people. But war is hell, as they say. And uh, in this case, war is a hellfire missile because that's where it's coming from. So between that and some of the internal things that are going on, you know, in the in the Air Force and, and various Air Forces around the world, it's not considered a high class position, so to speak. It's not like being a regular pilot. So it's considered a low caste thing. People look down on it in the military. So you got that with the, with the amount of hours you got to do. Because remember, you're dealing with all kinds of different time zones. So it's not like you're going to have a 9 to 5 job. You know, you could be up 3 o'clock in the morning doing this easily. And of course, you know, the death and destruction and all that. Well, they're, they're having a problem with shortages now. It used to be, see how many things have changed? It used to be that the second fear... Because the first fear was, oh my God, we're going to turn them into uh, merciless killers who don't know anything about honor and all that. Then the second fear was, oh my God, we're just going to take away people who don't want to be pilots anymore. They just want to be drone people. You know, because the chances of you getting hurt as a drone pilot are extremely remote. You know, unless you cut your finger on a paper that you're reading or something, you're not going to be getting hurt doing that job. So... Versus the air, you know, air for a fast force pilot, you know, things can happen to you. In fact, uh, you have a better chance in the air force of dying from an accident than you do from being shot down by the enemy. So death is around pilots on a regular basis. It's no joke. That's not the same thing as a drone pilot. So that didn't happen. People who became those pilots became those pilots that wasn't interested in doing any of that other stuff anyway. Some of them only did it for a little while and they went on to other things. You know, but others stood along, and then you know, but I guess there's a lot of burnout now between all of that. 
you know so that's it that's amazing uh, and uh, so that they have a shortage right now for them so you know there's a point where we got more drones right now manufactured than we have pilots for them so they got to figure out how to correct that I don't know, elevate the status or you know give people some extra bonus pay or something but lots of things that would normally go towards a military position they're not available for the drone pilot you can't give them a purple heart because maybe they've they've suffered from some depression or, or PTSD because they haven't really classified that yet uh, as an official thing. They believe that's happening. They're looking into it, but it's still not official. So there's no no medal for that. You know, there's no regular combat medal. You don't really have an actual pilot badge because you're just a, a drone pilot. They don't give you combat pay even though you're actually in combat. Because you're not physically in combat. It's just the, the robot plane is. So you don't get that either. <laughs> so there's lots of things you just don't get as, as being a drone pilot. So uh, in many ways, as important as it's become, it, it's almost like, a, you know, in terms of a, an occupation, it, it's kind of like a ripoff. And I think that's how a lot of people are looking at it as. It's just, this is going nowhere. In fact, I think I saw the official expression was uh, dead end job. Imagine that. Flying... Some of the most sophisticated robotic aircraft ever built, killing some of the most horrible terrorists out there in the world, doing your country some good, but it's become a dead-end job. So hopefully we figure out a way to revamp all that, because it's important, you know? I mean, I'm like everybody else. I'd love to have a day when we don't need these sort of things, but I don't know when that day is coming, as long as we have the bad actors out there like China and Russia and Iran and North Korea. North Korea really hasn't done very much on, on the drone situation. I mean, they're very primitive at that. But Iran is continually becoming successful. And, I, and to give you a, an idea of the success, recently they were able to use the drone to attack a, an oil shipper. So they'll be able to you attack more and more boats that way as, as they hone in on how they can do this. It used to be, seeing how technology is flying, and I'm sure the United States Navy is still studying this, how to find the best weapons to defeat anyone who might come up with a single missile that can that can seriously damage or sink an aircraft carrier. Because anybody's Navy, this is just not the United States, anybody's Navy that projects out aircraft carriers are very important because they allow them to literally put an entire squadron in the air in minutes and attack a place rather than having to fly all the way from the homeland which is a lot of time a lot of gas a lot of uh, uh, in many ways limit limitability because you're only limited on what you can do unless you got a whole bunch of tankers up there constantly refueling you where the aircraft carrier you could just do a lot more sustained damage where they come back get gas go up there again so there's still been research doing that they're still looking into that a lot of navies are but guess what if the drone or a naval type drone could be more perfected. I mean, it could be used possibly to attack ships, even the aircraft carrier. If you think about it, if you don't shoot it down in time, it might be able to get enough missiles off just to damage your flight line. Remember, the idea for years and years has been we got to defeat the missile that's going to hit the aircraft carrier and sink it, and then we're done for. We won't have as much power navally as we did before. I don't know. I don't know how limited the thinking that was because now it's obvious that that's not necessary any longer. You don't have to make a missile that's going to be able to do that. Which, by the way, has to be one hell of a missile because I don't know if you ever noticed an aircraft carrier. 
It's not such an easy thing to sink. Even with torpedoes, not an easy thing to sink. Very, very large. All you really have to do now is simply find a way, and drones might be one of the uh, the weapons towards this, is find a way just to, to really, really damage that flight line, if not destroy it. So you don't even have to sink the ship. Because you think about it, if you're able to destroy an aircraft carrier's aircraft flight line, well, then what it is, it, it, it's no longer aircraft carrier. Now it's just a carrier. Maybe it can, you know, send up some helicopters or something. Possibly. <laughs> you know? Meanwhile, it's a floating city, and it can't do too much more than that. If you think about it, that's that's pretty much it for it. Some helicopters, maybe a couple anti-aircraft guns. It's not doing anything more serious than that. Some of them have missiles, and you could probably shoot some of those off at somebody, a uh, country, or land mass, or whatever you got to do, but... You've effectively neutralized it. So that's something to seriously consider going forward is how drones can be effective in that realm, especially if someone's studying and doing that. And I'm sure they are because there would be an inexpensive way to do that and also a, a way that you can really build on the technology you have. Because you remember, when you're thinking about hitting something that large with a missile, you, you literally have to go from the, uh, you have to go from the, the drawing board. You can't just adopt other missiles. Because it's, they're smaller and they just don't have that kind of damage. They're just not going to make that kind of damage. At all. So, it's something to seriously think about. And hopefully we are. Because, of course, one of the disadvantages of having a drone trying to strike an aircraft carrier is, you know, they could be shot down. They could be shot down because they could be seen long enough out there where you could send planes against them to shoot them down, or you can send helicopters to shoot them down, missiles to shoot them down, giant gathering guns out there on, on the on the deck to shoot them down. There's a lot of things they can still shoot them down. They don't have much defenses, and they're not armored in any real fashion. In fact, the whole point of them is to be light so they can get a long distance and carry the weapons that they need to carry. So... As much as a ship might be vulnerable to these type of drones, those drones are super vulnerable in their own right. And that's that's really the saving grace on anyone trying to, you know, have to deal with that is they have to consider that as well. So I'm sure that drone defense has to be on the, on the board on some of these ships as well as anything else that they're dealing with. Now, what's happened, incredibly enough, with drone technology is it's now become more of a commercial thing. It's no longer just in the province of nations. And that's part of it because, you know, it's not expensive. So it's not a difficult thing to, to build one and send them send them out to a company to be used because they're not they're not enormously expensive at all. Then it's not like they can't be afforded. So that makes them uh, really in the province of, of commercial things now. So you see them that they, they use them um, for uh, a lot of sporting events, you'll see them over stadiums and stuff, taking pictures, sometimes doing televised things. Uh, you'll, you'll see them um, for companies using them for various land surveying. Because if you think about it, you could send a drone with your GPS coordinates really quickly over to some place you want to take pictures at. And when you're trying to do something topographical, you're trying to do something geographical, whether it's mapping something or looking for survivors of, of, of an earthquake or trying to find out, uh, you know, if uh, if an earthquake did this damage or did an avalanche do that damage. And it's faster and easier and cheaper than you have to retask a satellite. If you know anything about satellites, you got to re-coordinate them now to go around the different paths of that Earth. That takes a while to happen to do that. 
Meanwhile, a lot of things could change. It could take a, 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 a satellite 12 hours to retask to go where you needed to go. You know, a lot of things can change in 12 hours. Where you could send the drone over, and uh, it could be over there in an hour or less. So that's a big difference. It's a big difference if lives are at stake, and it's a big difference if information is at stake. So they're really helpful for that as well. I mean, people still use satellites for things we're talking about. But those are things that go over a long period of time. Like a, a good example would be the Australian wildfires that did so much damage over there in Australia a couple of years ago. Your drones were not as effective because of the heat and the constant smoke and everything. They just wasn't that effective. But because of those uh, sustained fires that were going to be going on for weeks and weeks and weeks until they were finally put out, satellites were far more effective to see where it was at, where it was spreading, where was the worst at, where were the best of that, you know, all of that. They were far more effective for that because they wasn't being, they wasn't being affected by the heat and the smoke as much. And they can go through a lot more of that. So, there, you know, as you can see, oftentimes each instrument out there, you know, has its, has its purposes and, and has its pros and its cons, so to speak. And that would be one of those. But they've been commercially used in a great deal. Now, along with just about everything in the world that seems to be miniaturized, uh, drones are now too. So you see them now in stores for toys. Some of them even have cameras. You can take pictures. Uh, I've known uh, private eyes that use them to take pictures uh, for for their um, for their work on cheating spouses and stuff. Uh, understand that spy agencies use really small ones. You could fly into the window and listen to conversation. Maybe even take a couple pictures, send it back, so you don't have to worry about the information even like being in present right there. It just gets sent back. So that's pretty good for intelligence and espionage. You don't need as many, you know, human people. Don't mean, got me wrong. You still have to have human intelligence there or spies, as they call them. You're never really going to grow out the need for that. But these instruments are helpful because, again, the more information you could have gathered before you send somebody into a situation, the better they can accomplish their mission and less the chance they're going to get captured or killed. So it's always good to have something like that on hand. That certainly wasn't around. When I was uh, doing things back in the 80s, so sure could have used those. But um, now they're pretty much a, a common thing. It's nothing unusual. You got some that literally attached to your smartphone. You could watch things. I know people that fly them around the house when they're at dinner just to make sure that the house is safe. You know? It's, ama it's amazing what, what people have figured out what they can do with those. But I'm thinking that also... This is something that Orwell had never really envisioned. And we'll have more about this on another show. Because I want to have an Orwell show that talks about some of the things that 1984 could never have gotten into. Because it just, he, it never conceived in him. He never conceived, and I'll give you a little brief, like, hint of that show and what we're talking about. Remember, when Orwell had thought about Big Brother and the concept of that, Sure, he had the telescreens in people's houses and all that, but his whole entire approach was this was strictly a government-funded, government-operation type of society. The authoritarian one came from there. And he just used warfare, you know, as a way to uh, keep people, uh, you know, off of off their, uh, you know, uh, their view of what's going on. Another distraction, another obstacle. But it was all entirely from a government that did this. It never occurred to him. Not in his 1984 book, not even in his after writings in the nonfiction, 
that we could have a situation where people themselves can be big brother and use common instruments that they could buy in the store to spy on their neighbors, to spy on their spouses, to spy on their girlfriends, spy on their wives, to do all kinds of weird things. Buying them, miniaturization, smartphones, mini drones, mini cameras, pinhose lens cameras. You can stick it in a, in a doll somewhere and, and watch the babysitter, see if she's beating your child or not. This is the kind of stuff people do. It never occurred to him that would be possible, first. And second of all, it never occurred to him that corporations become, can, can become so big and so invasive and so well off financially that they can be just as much as dangerous as a government, if not more. We see that now with some of our social media places where they're, they're harmful in terms of censorship, in terms of giving information to marketers against us. Many things that are beyond violating our privacy. It's just unbelievable. It just never occurred to him that this can happen. So the world has changed, and it's changed in a different fashion. I mean, he gave us the lessons. He gave us the things to look for. He gave us what was necessary for us to sustain our freedom. He just thought it was going to come from a government. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been governments that have done this. Uh, Russia did it for a long time with the Soviet Union. North Korea is doing it. East Germany. I saw for myself literally every camera and, and every street light. To watch the entire street, every every part of the uh, of the city, and people literally looking at everything, it's unbelievable. So it's not like that wasn't done what he was talking about, because it was done plenty of times. But we have more of a chance now that corporations become more dangerous towards individuality and freedom than governments do. And of course, with individuals doing some of these things as well. And they're a lot harder on a tendential basis to do anything about. I mean, every so often you're going to get somebody to get arrested for using their drone in an illegal fashion. But it doesn't happen that often. And look at corporations. You don't, you don't, you don't really see people protesting the corporation. You're violating my privacy. You're doing them bad. You're doing this. You're doing that. It doesn't really happen very often. It should. It doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it's more sexy and politically correct to, to, to protest against a government, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Maybe you think it's going to have more of an effect that way. And sometimes it does. Because, you know, government has to listen to the people eventually. Not all the time, but eventually. Where corporations really don't have to. But then we've seen plenty of corporations do dumb things because they're afraid that someone's not going to buy their product. Or they're afraid that they're going to get a bad name and they're going to look bad and do this. Some are like that and some are not. So I wouldn't count on that. I'll boycott them and that'll change their behavior. That's not always going to work. There's simply not enough, especially when it comes to social media ones. They got so many in the, in the tens of millions of numbers. You know, uh, you'd have to have a boycott in those kind of numbers for them to even pay attention, and that's not going to happen. So, anybody tries to boycott them, it's you might help somebody else create a new social media as new members, but you're not going to you're not going to harm many of the, of the large ones. The law is going to have to harm them, not not anybody else. So, those are some of the things we're going to definitely talk more about. Where it concerns um, uh, freedom and, and privacy and, and censorship, I find, though, and the overall picture of drones is they're still a useful technology. But like I've mentioned before, and where really the philosophy of my show "Strength to Human" comes from, is we need to have the strength to be human to understand that 
not everything needs an answer. Not everything needs to be explored. Not everything has to get built without any real understanding of the consequences, without any real oversight. We have too many scientists even to this day. And I've been talking about the subject since the mid-80s, okay? Too many out there. This is great. This is great. This is great. And either they don't care about the negative ramifications of it, or they're like, we'll deal with that later. Let's just go on to this. I mean, one of the, the perfect examples right now is they're using a technology called CRISPR. That's just the acronym for it, all right? It's gene editing. You can go in there and maybe edit the gene out and possibly uh, destroy a, a bad disease that could harm somebody. It's been effective in some cases already. I'm not against it. I'm not saying don't do it. What I am saying is, if this is so important to us, going forward into the future, where is the oversight? Where are the ethical considerations? That's what we need to have uh, on any technology, and particularly the drones. We need to make sure, not just laws, but we need to be able to make sure that we're using it for the right reasons and that we're doing everything we can for it to make sure that whatever we target is what we target and not something else. Everything possible should be done in that way. So there is a place for that. It is, it is important out there. It could do a lot of good jobs. It's good for the environment in many cases. You know, because of the technology that it uses, it's not spurting out all this pollution. It's economical in terms of uh, budgets and, and how you how you do things uh, for the military and for the security of the United States and many other countries. It's effective to to get rid of people that all they want to do is kill and, and harm. It's unfortunate that sometimes this is all you have to do. But what are you going to do? You can't talk to some of these people. They just they're, they're stuck on that path, and all you can do is stop them by doing this. And that's definitely one way to do that. I don't know what the what the real gist is on toys. To be honest with you, I don't know. Just to fly it like a, like a regular plane, but you're flying a drone, running around. Maybe you see some pictures. Maybe doing this and that. I know they're used in college dorms, so you can look at girls half naked. So I'm sure somebody's found a use for that. I'm not saying to advocate that, but I can understand why some would want to do that. But uh, other than other than that, I'm not really seeing them as any kind of a toy thing. I can see why uh, possibly uh, the bomb squad. Um, and the police departments, um, to a certain extent, uh, and uh, you know, investigators might want to use them to, to gather some information. But of course, on anything, you make sure you want to have regulation rules on that, so you're just not spying on anybody, like anything else you do. You want to have some kind of reasonable, you know, search requirements. And, and that's it. I see how they could still be useful. So uh, they're definitely not something I'm, I'm against. But like anything else. And my knife is the perfect metaphor to end this show and, you know, to constantly talk about technology is you get the knife, you cut your cucumbers, you know, get ready for your salad, or, you know, you go outside and you cut your neighbor. So, in many cases, sometimes technology is neutral in terms of the polarity of what's going on there. Is a knife bad? No. A knife's not good either. A knife is a knife. You are bad or you are good, depending on how you use it. You know, and, and some technologies are not, of course. You know, some of them are just simply, you know, horrible. If you, you know, you create a, you know, a biological disease to hurt people or a chemical weapon, I mean, there's nothing good about that. There's nothing that can ever come good about that. Because one day you're going to have to kill somebody with it. That's the whole point. And one day, unfortunately, it might escape and, and kill you, which happens. 
And for all we know, with COVID, that might have happened again in China. So, something to consider. All right, folks. That is it for Robo Wars. Send in the drones. I uh, really enjoyed the topic. It's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while now. I just couldn't do it on the other show, so I'm glad where we had this show to put together so we can definitely talk about that subject. Hopefully, I kind of give you a little bit of clarification on what drones are out there, what they're doing, what they can do, good and bad and indifferent. You know, even a little bit of philosophy behind and what people are thinking about it, which I'm still glad because, believe it or not, when you're thinking both psychologically and philosophically about you know, the uses of drones, that is, in its own way, a form of ethical oversight. So at least someone's starting to do something like that. And we should be thinking about that at all times. We really should. Otherwise, we have no business exploring things if we don't have some of the ins and the outs of it. It's like Vietnam, you know, the, the Colin Powell doctrine, I say. You know, if you're going to Vietnam, you better have an extra strategy. It's the same thing with most of these technologies. You better have a way that... You can do whatever you can to minimize some of the negative sides of it. All right, folks. God bless. Until next time, this is Mark Anthony Rossi. Mind speak, Robo Wars. Send in the Thanks drones. Episode 223. Until next time. At www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.